Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. is up everybody the city of cincinnati is buzzing right now not only are there super bowl aspirations for the cincinnati Bengals, but those reds are surprising some folks and you love to see that kind of some parallels a little bit as compared to the Bengals and how they've built their team as of recently in the early stages maybe for the reds we'll see john i know you are excited about those uh those red legs and, of course, the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm Anthony Cazenza, joined by John Sheeran. John, what's going on, my man? You are rocking the Cincy hat so appropriately tonight. We got the Bengals. We got the Red Legs. We got FC Cincinnati taking the MLS by yeah. storm. How they have not lost at home at all this season. I went to one game, and it was electric. And they're continuing their quest of professional dominance. But, yeah, we're, rock- we're rocking the Cincy hat. Shout out to Ted Karras and his wonderful foundation all the proceeds go to the organization back in indianapolis to uh, i believe benefit adults with disabilities so a tremendous mm-hmm. cause phenomenal hat but yeah we're repping the whole city right now um i used to be a big reds fan anthony until they stopped giving me reasons to be a fan and then i learned who El- ellie de la cruz was about a couple days ago and he seems to be i don't know the next hank aaron so that's pretty cool it is pretty cool i gotta i gotta show you something you gotta give me a second okay. not that i love dead air but I got to show you something. I'm going to, I'm going to zoom in on you. I'm going to put something on because I know a lot of people know that I'm from Southern California and yes, I like the halos. Yeah. I like the Padres a little bit as well, but uh, I got to show you something. Hang on one second. I'm going to show you. I have no idea what this is. You don't know what it is. I know. It's the the beauty of just kind of winging it live. Winging it live. That is right. I'm going to see if this will show up here. If you can see it. All right. This is something I won in a raffle, uh, gosh, when I was like a teenager from a sports card shop. I was always, you know, I know P. Rose is a polarizing guy, but I always loved how we played the game. So I've had this. I'm looking. I'm redoing my man cave and stuff, as you probably know. But I've had that. So I have supported the Reds. I, I liked Eric Davis. Barry Larkin was a favorite. Uh, obviously, Griffey was always fun to watch. So from afar, my friend, I still have a little bit of a Reds affinity not as much as you, not as much as some of the other native Cincinnatians, but uh, I do have a little bit of a connection to the Reds, especially 
in those late 80s, early 90s, when both teams, the Bengals and the Reds, were really good. My God, Charlie Hustle signed merch. That's probably like, yeah. I don't, I, I, how many jerseys do you think P. Rose has signed in his career? Over oh, under, my gosh. Like, oh over my under 100,000, you know? <laughs> probably. Probably. He's well He's well into six or seven digits at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, I got a, it's a cool little jersey. I've had it for a long time and had it mounted and all kinds of stuff. So uh had that thing for good lord 20 25 years probably at this point um but hey it's cool to see the reds my point is it's cool to see the reds where they're at right now it feels a little bit like Bengals 2020 Bengals 2021 potentially we'll see maybe they're still a year or two away but uh since the city's a buzz it's not just because of red the reds it's not just because of fc cincinnati but of course the Bengals leading the charge and having super bowl aspirations as we said at the beginning of the show and a reason for that um you know part of the reason for the buzz is mandatory mini camps coming around the corner john we've been mm-hmm. going through a lot of the ota headlines and questions and that sort of thing we'll we'll talk a little bit more about what we want what some players we're looking at maybe some storylines going into mandatory mini camps because that's when things kind of start revving up a little bit um so we'll talk about that but Look, uh, just kind of the, the big thing right now, as of now, I know we're sitting here crossing our fingers and our toes and all kinds of stuff, but so far, a normal offseason for the Cincinnati Bengals and for Joe Burrow, and hopefully that is something that will continue and, and add to the Super Bowl aspirations because that has simply not been the case the past couple of years. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that's going to disrupt that is something that we just can't predict. And there's no use in worrying about it because it's it's something that is completely out of everyone's control, right? Like what happened last year was not in the plans at all. And they just kind of had a scramble with that. But yeah, like the offseason plan, I think, has been the same as it was last year. So they got a late start to the offseason just because they played deep into the postseason. So they kind of delayed things. And, you know, it's been the same kind of mindset. Like, you know, if your training schedule allows you to be here then you're more than welcome to be here but if not we'll see you in the middle of june when we really ramp up you know schematic training and getting everyone acclimated get everyone on the same page for when late july comes i believe zach taylor he leaked that training camp begins or players officially report july 25th so that may or may not be the date that we'll circle on our calendars but as soon as the date comes you'll have 89 or maybe 90 at that point Bengals players uh present for training camp, including Jonah Williams, including, you know, guys like Chidabay Wuzier, guys who are still injured, working their way back. But so far, you know, no, nothing out of the ordinary. It's been a good offseason right according to plan with what Zach Taylor and his coaching staff had in mind. Well, most of it is according to plan. And sure. the Bengals have, have had, uh, at the tackle positions, good problems and, and some other problems that are not so much on the good side in terms of maybe disgruntled players and and other movements along the line or alignments on the line that they are going to have to work with. And so I guess one of the places to start for me in terms of mandatory minicamp, you know, I mean, the Bengals had most of their players participate in OTAs. I think there's a small handful. Uh, Tyler Boyd was in and out for a little bit and and some others. Um, and But one of the guys that was notably, notably absent was Jonah Williams. And Jonah Williams, now there's a, a viral video that went out showing him lifting uh, pretty hard and pretty heavy weight with the, you know, recovering, coming back from both knees having dislocations throughout last year. So that is a guy for me 
will he show, won't he show, what, what's his role going to be right now at mandatory minicamp um, coming up here next week. So to me, that's kind of headline news or at least where I'm starting as to what's that going to look like there. Yeah, so I think the observation from because like I guess this past Tuesday was the first official OTA session before minicamp, and it's when all the media members were there. So right now, like you know, the helmets are on, but it, there's no like actual like reps in the trenches, if you will. It's right. still, seven, still against all against air, seven on seven, eleven on eleven against air, and right now. Right tackle solely belongs to Jackson Carmen because Lowell Collins, I don't believe he was present uh, for this past OTA, but he has been, you know, working on the side. He has been present with the team at times this offseason, but he can't he can't participate. Jonah Williams isn't officially cleared to, to participate just yet either. So it's Jackson Carmen at right tackle, and that's interesting to me, Anthony, because you had this whole thing about Cody Ford wanting to be right to be a right tackle with the Bengals. Like the Bengals allowed him to returned to the position that he was at Oklahoma and what what he was with the Buffalo Bills when he first started his NFL career. So there was this thought that he could potentially be in this competition if this was a true, like, wide-open battle royale at right tackle. Maybe even Hakeem Adeniji gets a chance in there. But right now it just seems like they're just giving it to Je- – they're not giving it, but Jackson Carmen is taking a hold of the the position at the moment while the true the two veteran you know contenders for the spot, Jonah Williams and Leo Collins, they're still working their way back. So I'm, I'm wondering if – Whenever Jonah comes back, and maybe if Lel comes back sometime in August, if that competition does open up to maybe four or five guys in total, or if this is just going to be like maybe a three horse race. And right now, Jackson Carmen, just because he's out there and he's participating, he's got a leg up on the others. He does have a leg up on the others. It, it's his career is becoming fascinating to me. I mean, spot starter at left tackle with up and down results in the postseason last year. Um, you know, started at guard spots. Um, and now he's working out at right tackle. And this is kind of the make or break year for him, I think, in terms of where he's going to be. Is he going to be relegated to kind of just swing backup guy at a lot of different spots? Um, I mean, I, I don't think he gets cut necessarily, but you also have to look across that that offensive line and that roster and see all of the right tackles that they've compiled now, um, moving Jonah Williams over there. You bring in uh, Orlando Brown Jr., obviously, and then, you know, you've got some of the other positions set. You, you like some things out of Trey Hill and some of the other young backups that you've put together there. So to me, this is a really, I mean, as, as fascinated as I am to see if and when Jonah Williams shows up, if he can participate, all of that. I'm also in, very, very interested in seeing how Jackson Carmen responds to continuing to get the the lion's share of snaps, presumably. And if this is finally the position where he looks comfortable, where he feel where, where it seems like he can actually latch on potentially into a a starting spot or something of that nature. But for right now, I mean, I do think he brings value value as a really a guy who can fill in at a number of spots if needed as a backup along the offensive line, but that's not, what the original design for him was when you drafted him in the second round, right? I mean, this was a guy you, you figured was going to be a starter on your offensive line. So um, very, very intrigued to see what happens with him starting a mandatory minicamp. It's, it's so funny that you mentioned that because like when he was drafted, right, he was projected to be a starter. And then after a year, I guess going from like August of his rookie season to August of last year, he had lost not one, but two, starting jobs or like or, or camp positional battles if you will 
So you're thinking, what value does this guy have now? Especially because th- there was obviously stuff off the field that was that was revealed during the offseason and, yeah. and whatnot. So like he went from like <laughs> very optimistic about his career to is this guy going to get cut? And now he's kind of at this point in the middle where it's like the the player that he was in the postseason. To me, that was like that's the that's your ideal swing tackle. You, you don't want to rely on him probably for multiple weeks on end, but if he can come in and play in a pinch and give you some type of a spark there, I think that's fine. Like I think that's what he was, and I'm interested to see if he's anything more now. That, that I think that's the whole reason why he's been getting so many chances and opportunities, albeit in the very early stages of the offseason. They want to see what growth he's taken since the end of the season. They want to see if it's actually real because it's been two off seasons and I don't want to say they've been bamboozled, but they haven't been impressed with, with what he's brought to them yeah. right before the season. Right. So this is a chance for him to really put up or shut up. And if not, if he is the swing tackle for the next two years, I think that's fine considering again, he was a legitimate uh, candidate to get cut. But right now it just seems like, it might just be for continuity's sake. They just want to get the same five guys out there when they're implementing scheme and getting guys familiar again. Maybe they don't want to start the competition again. Or it could just be, hey, this guy looks really impressive. Let's just give him enough opportunities just to see what he does. Well, yeah, I mean, right tackle's got to be really – with this team being in good position, the roster being in good shape, yes, they had some attrition in, in free agency, but – Right tackle is really one of the very few unsettled positions on this roster right now. The other, some of the other unsettled positions on the roster reside in the secondary, some of which is because of injuries that occurred in, in the regular season last year, but also new additions the last couple of years, um, you know, the, the attrition and free agency, that sort of thing. So I'm very interested to see right now. I mean, again, Wuzier is not going to come in and, and, be at minicamp or at least participate, it would seem, um, at this point. I also don't believe he's going to be a pup list guy. I think his his injury and obviously being just lighter body weight than an offensive lineman, you would think that he's going to be coming back and maybe would not be a pup candidate, whereas Lael Collins is probably more likely to, to be so. But, I, you know, then you've got, okay, DJ Turner stepping in. What does that look like, right? Um, you know, Sidney Jones, the guy that the, the Bengals uh, brought in via free agency, where does he slate in there? What do they do with the depth chart? And then, of course, the potential rise of Cam Taylor Britt in the second year. And then all of the stuff at safety, Jordan Battle, Nick Scott, uh, Dax Hill, all of that. You know, I, I, I think there's a lot to sort out there. Some good problems, but a lot of inexperience and a lot of new faces also. Yeah, I, th- I think it's kind of notable that it was DJ Turner who was starting for Wuzier, at least in OTAs, just because you have guys like Alan George, Sidney Jones, who just sound like these are guys who at least have experience playing. So that you're just throwing a rookie, albeit a talented second-round rookie out there, but a rookie nonetheless and going up against guys like T. Higgins and Jamar Chase. Again, in very pre- preliminary stages of everything, but I think it's cool that, that they're really getting their feet wet as much as possible. And the same goes to Jordan battle. So the whole thing with that was he was taking starting reps at safety along with Dax Hill. Nick Scott was also getting some reps, but Nick Scott did say in the locker room after practice that he's still working back from a shoulder injury. So he was placed on injured reserve right before the end of the regular season with the, with the Los Angeles Rams. So obviously that injury didn't pre- prevent him from signing or passing the physical in the off season, but the Bengals are just taking that slow. They don't want to push him too right. far. So he seems to be, close to getting back but Jordan Battle I guess taking those snaps at safety is more of a reflection 
of Nick Scott not being 100%, but also, at the same time, even if Nick Scott was healthy, I don't think it would shock us completely if he was rotating in and out with, with Nick Scott at the safety position. It could just be an indication that there could be more of a rotation at safety, and they're trying to get him acclimated, or it's just Nick Scott's out and Jordan Battle's next up, which is also kind of notable because like they still have Michael Thomas they still have Tyson Anderson at safety yep. so the fact that they're getting a third round rookie you know snaps with the starters it, it's not nothing to me you know like just just because these guys are the newest names in here and it makes sense that, to give them reps like I still think it, it's notable how they're playing over some guys who were here last year so we had a comment I, I, I should have pulled it up but from one of our our listeners and uh, he comments quite a bit on our videos and watches it so we appreciate that um, but he had left a comment I think on our last video of the listener questions where we talked about potential rotations of um, of safeties and maybe maybe there's true starters but heavy rotators maybe there's a lot of three safeties looks three safety looks and the commenter said, I seem to remember Luana Rumo say, saying, I don't really like to rotate players or rotate starters, rotate safeties, that sort of thing. While that's true, he has also not preferred to have to rely on fresh-faced rookies, guys who are heavily inexperienced, that sort of thing. So I think there's a balance of, you know, what his preferences are and the way his hand is forced with, you know, the, the losing both Bell and Bates. Um, and having three new safeties to work with here. Uh, I mean, Dax Hill isn't brand new, but for all intents and purposes, I mean, he's kind of new. So, I mean, th- there's a there's a fine line to walk between, yeah, he probably, he, I, I don't remember the exact quote of him not preferring to rotate guys, but, you know, he also has, has preferred some veterans in certain places and not have to rely so heavily on rookies and guys that don't have a lot of experience. And um, he's going to have to probably do that this this year yeah so if if it's just dax and let's just say nick scott who are who are just the new Bates and bell i don't think that would be surprising but i think the reason why this year can be different is because when you have that tandem of Bates and bell arguably the best tandem of safeties that we've seen in recent memory in the nfl like there's no real use to kind of muddy those waters and screw up what was working right because they're both experienced guys, both experienced in the system. You take one guy out, you rotate another guy, a rookie, nonetheless, in, and it messes up the communication. When you remove that tandem from the equation, I think all bets are kind of off right now because, again, Dax Hill at safety is still a projection at this point in time. Like, he's only really played the position in the preseason, so he hasn't played with any of the fellow starters. He hasn't played against a starting offense just yet. You have a guy, Nick Scott, who, again, has one year of starting experience in safety, but he's new to the system. And Jordan Battles is, is basically in the same boat because he's a rookie, but he's a very experienced rookie for me being like a four-year starter in a Nick Saban defense. So they've raved constantly about his intangibles and his communication skills and just picking up things very quickly. He seems very mentally apt at this point for being in June in his rookie season. So if you are in a situation where you need to get the best combination out there. You need to get the best plan possible. And, you, and you've lost so many snaps at safety. Maybe a rotation or maybe just, I, I, I guess it would be just a rotation. Like seeing where and when to, to put these guys onto the field and what permutations you want in certain situations. Maybe that's not the worst thing in the world for Luna Rumo, who's so you know on the record for being against that, that type of thing. When you lose that experience, though, and you're trying to compensate for a level of talent you've done so much to the safety room already maybe it's an indication that things could change 
Yeah, Ken Ken Hammock here makes a, a good point. You know, Battle has definitely been coached up by a defensive back specialist in Nick Saban, of course. And you have to you have to trust the coaching. You have to trust the competition he played against. The big games they they played in, including this includes the DJ Turner as well. The big games that he played at Michigan and, and everything there. But um, I mean, I said this. I was on a show earlier. I was on Strawberry Ice's show, and actually Mike Petralia was on there as well, which was a, a, a treat. Um, and I said this, you know. Battle has said said some quote basically that you know some of the early concepts uh, in his career at safety have been a little bit more basic, and then he's kind of expanded a little bit and that sort of thing. It reminded me a lot of when the Bengals drafted Sean Williams, and yeah. Sean Williams was a in the box safety. You know, it just made me think about that. He was a guy that needed you know kind of to learn, especially as a pro, need to learn a lot of professional coverage concepts, coverage concepts in general at the safety position. And he ended up having a pretty decent career with the Bengals, a couple of seasons with multiple interceptions, was a, was a solid safety next to Jesse Bates uh, for, for a little while there. So, you know, I mean, that's – it may be a little bit of the same thing where there is a little bit of a, a learning curve or, you know, a steep ramp up uh, for, for a player like Battle. But I think also if you're Luana Rumo, you have to trust your draft process – in, in the team's draft process in terms of the athletic profiles that you've preferred to go with, with some of these guys and, or the maturity, big school, big game uh, performances in those types of, in those types of arenas, you have to kind of trust that at some point. And I think that's, that's kind of where he, it's where his hand is forced really. Pretty much. And like all of these like battles and these competitions, it's ultimately between a lot of players who are going to be on the roster anyways and it's just a matter of how big or how small their roles are going to be. It the the one true competition might just be a punter, and right now it doesn't seem like like it doesn't even seem like a competition just right. because everything that we've seen from Brad Robbins, he's absolutely booming the crap out of, the, out of these footballs, yeah. and he's doing work as a holder. Like he looks very natural there, just because he he held for one of the best kickers in the country, Michigan. So that's going to be may, maybe the true battle outside of maybe like right tackle. Maybe you ha- you will have some type of roster implications and roster shakeup at right tackle, depending on how that goes. But this is going to be the second year in a row where we're going to have a true, you know, win or go home battle at punter. And right now it looks like it's all a rookie. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. 
So, I mean, I want to get, I want to get ones that you, I mean, it sounds like you're kind of in agreement with some of the ones that I'm talking about. I definitely want to get your, some of your suggestions on this, John, and, and, or our live listeners too, if you've got some positions that you, you know, or, or players specifically, you're going to be looking at as, as practices ramp up, the intensity ramps up with mandatory mini camp and into training camp, we want to hear about it, but obviously now in a great, great interview from all Bengals, Elise Jesse with Joe Mixon down at his camp. Um, and one of the clips that was shared recently uh, in that interview was basically, you know, she just point blank asked the question, did you ever feel like you were not going to be a Cincinnati Bengal this year? And of course he kind of, he, I mean, he, he was honest to give him credit on that, but I think there was also a little bit of, of player speak where, you know, he, he, no, you know, self-confidence and all that kind of thing, but his self-confidence and being a Bengal and his role with this team has seemingly come from the front office, right? I mean, they, they have shown an immense, and the coaches, they have shown an immense amount of support through, um, you know, the obviously he missed some time last year with the injury. Uh, and then, of course, uh, the stuff that happened this offseason or reportedly happened this offseason and, and some of the questions with with that. Um, and, and, of course, then the contract as well uh, in the devaluation of that position across the league. He seems to be pretty confident, John, that, you know, or he always was confident that he was going to stay with the team. He was going to be their primary back. The running back spot in general, though, be it him and the share of carries, him, Travion Williams, uh, Chase Brown. I mean, it, it, there's going to be some some talk about that, but it does seem to be that Joe, Joe Mixon's the lead guy and by uh, somewhat wide margin as of this point. Oh, 100%. If the, if the running back room stays the same, then this is still obviously Joe Mixon's group. The outlook of the whole situation now compared to what it was maybe like the first week of March is obviously completely different because if you were to see the timeline of events that have happened since March and June, it should surprise no one that Joe Mixon is still on the team and, and still has leverage to maybe not take a pay cut. But that wasn't the case, obviously, in February in the beginning of March when they still had the chance to resign uh, uh, Samaj P. Ryan. Like the, the Minnesota Vikings right now, uh, they, they resign Alexander Madison and they're planning to release Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook had two years left on his deal. He signed that extension the same offseason that Joe Mixon did. It's, it's a similar story, right? Like injuries, devaluation of the position, the whole nine yards, right? Mm-hmm. The Bengals wanted to resign Samaj P. Ryan. He took what he believes to be a bigger role in Denver. The Bengals like, okay, we can't really replace Samaj P. Ryan in free agency. Let's hold on to Joe Mixon. Let's see how the draft unfolds. The draft unfolds. They're interested in maybe Jameer Gibbs at the end of the first. Jameer Gibbs is a Detroit line in the teens. They wait until the fifth round to take a running back. It makes all the sense in the world now to keep a veteran like Joe Mixon to take the line share of the carry, see what he can do, and what is, is essentially the last year of his deal because they can cut him with basically virtually zero consequence right. in 2024, right? So with everything that's happened, it, it makes sense why Joe Mixon is still here. And the team is not obligated to tell Joe Mixon about their future plans, about what may or may not happen to him. As far as he knows, like he's always had a phenomenal relationship with Mike Brown and, and the Blackburns. Like I remember that picture that they all took together when he was about to sign, or maybe he just signed that contract. Like that was a very personable, you know, moment. And I think it was very unique compared to other players who had signed extensions because that offseason, like 2020, that was the beginning of the purge of the old Bengals, and they were bringing yeah. in guys like DJ Turner and Von Bell. And so Joe Mixon signing like a, essentially a $50 million deal as like a, as a Marvin Lewis player in this new era of Bengals. Like, I think that stood out to them. They identified him as like a leader that they wanted on this team going forward and they wanted to pay him like that. So I think that relationship has always kind of been there. And I don't think 
they're like I don't think it's deteriorated or wavered at all from either sides. But obviously, Mixon didn't have to be privy of what may or may not have been the plans with him going forward. And we'll we'll see if it stays the same. We'll see if they need more cap space because they intend to to extend Joe Burrow and, and T Higgins. But going forward, Joe Mixon is 100% going to be on this roster. Yeah, there was a question in our live chats about did he take a pay cut? No, not as of yet. Again, that may be coming depending on the contract situations, extensions, and all of Jonah that. Jonah Williams can't take a pay cut. He's got a guaranteed salary. Next question. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that was another comment in here, yeah. Um, I, so what we'll transition here into a potential breakout player in just a minute, but um, what what other spots, scenarios, players are you looking at as mandatory minicamp starts to, starts to unfold? I still want to see the rotation of receiver, I think, because we, we've heard some things about Charlie Jones, Andre Yosevis, but like, Trent Irwin's still here. Trent Taylor's still here. Stanley Morgan's still here. Mm-hmm. I want to see like what the pecking order is right now because again, we're not going to get anything too in depth with the, with the trenches yet. Like we're going to see, you know, maybe like the rotation there, but we're we're still going to see some highlights of the guys catching passes and whatnot, and maybe the order of what of what they're doing. Maybe we're going to see if Charlie Jones is mainly in the slot, if he's also you know taking snaps on the outside. I believe Yoshivis even got on the field pretty early with like the ones or the twos for a couple of reps and OTAs. So I want to see kind of how that rotation is shaking out. Maybe we can get a glance of what it's going to be in training camp. But, or again, maybe right now it's it's to get a lot of these young players, a lot of these rookies like acclimated really quickly and getting these reps early just to see how they kind of handle it. I've said it a handful of times before on our show, but, uh, you know, I think Darren Simmons has a, a reasonable amount of pull in terms of roster decisions and different um, – you know, different players that are that are kept, that are drafted. And so I think the back end of the roster for the wide receiver positions, he'll have a, a decent amount of say in that because you have Stanley Morgan who isn't really much or has not been much of an offensive threat or an offensive weapon in, in the Bengals system, but has been an immensely valuable guy um, on special teams. He's, he'll have some moments of selflessness on offense where he'll block and do do various things as well. But I mean, his primary role is special teams, and he is excellent at it as, you know, a gunner and downing punts and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, you got Irwin, who really doesn't do a ton on special teams comparative to some of the others, but did more on offense and and stepped up in a big way last year, four touchdown catches, a um, couple of big games for him. You've got Trent Taylor, who's been kind of steady, but now you have the two new guys, and so and these two new guys you think are going – that they drafted are – you have to think that they have some special teams ability or were drafted because of that. So it's, you know, as final cuts come, which is a ways down the road, I I think Darren Simmons is going to have to really think about, okay, and work with, you know, Troy Walters, Zach Taylor, Brian Callahan to say, okay, these guys can help you out on offense, but I really need them on, on special teams in these capacities as well. And this is my order of value or, or how I, you know, how I value these guys or what I think they can bring to the table in that regard, because you're going to need to maximize roster spots. Um, You know, the minimization of kickoff return specialists now because of the rule changes over the past handful of years, including this offseason, everything that plays into it, but you also look at how the Bengals lost the, the AFC championship game last year with punt, you know, punt issues, you know, punt coverage, all that kind of stuff. And so, I mean, he's going to, he's going to have his mark in this, in this group. 
a gunner battle maybe between Yoshivis yeah. and Morgan, right? Like, I mean, yeah. that's a tall order for Yoshivis to, to kind of take on as a rookie. But I, I think that's where he'll probably, like, if they were to cut one of Morgan or they're trying to stash Yoshivis on the practice squad, that might be the thing that kind of decides that. I think both of them ultimately make the roster. Like, the main competition is probably going to be, hey, who can return kicks better, you know, Charlie Jones or Trent Taylor? Or who can return putts better? And it's going to be... The, the onus is primarily going to be on Trent Taylor because he that's where his main value is. Whereas Charlie Jones, he's going to be developed as a, a future potential starter, or if not, like the next Trent Irwin as a receiver, who also just happens to be an electrifying you know kickoff and pump returner. So it's going to be like those four guys trying to make the most of their opportunities. But the, the rookies will probably have the edge just because of, of draft status, right? So they have four years mm-hmm. of, of a cheap contract under them. And, you know, I think they'll probably succeed with the opportunities that they're going to get this summer. Well, Charlie Jones is one of our breakout player, potential breakout players. I think it was the first one we did when we kicked off the list. And we'll have another one in just a second. And just to kind of tie a bow on this segment or this topic, you know, I mean, we, we, Going back a second, we talked running back and we didn't mention the name Chris Evans. Um, and so, you know, that's and I guess we're talking also a little bit of return men, special teams value, that sort of thing. So I guess there's a little bit of a, um, you know, relevance in terms of bringing him up at this point in the conversation. But again, just a guy that uh, everybody's kind of shaking their head, shrugging their shoulders, going, I don't know. I, I I don't know because he's made a couple of nice plays as a versatile player on offense in big games. But it's been few and far between and then, you know, injuries and or lack of kick returns when that was seemingly a job that he was going to get. I don't know. I don't know if there's writing on the wall yet or not. If we were to make like a tier list of the entire Bengals roster, which is honestly kind of a nice idea for a future episode. But if we were to make a tier list, there would be a tier just IDK. And I think Jackson Carmen <laughs> and Chris Evans would fit perfectly there because I don't know. I don't know who they are at this point. Yeah, I like that. We'll do that. We'll have to do that. We'll have to do yeah. that. Uh, we're going to move on to the potential breakout player, uh, another one on the list in just a second here. Before we do, I want to remind folks to subscribe to our YouTube channel if you are so inclined. The show icon is above John Sheeran there. You can click that. Click the bell to be notified when we go live, when new content is available, but do so only after you hit the subscribe button. And, of course... Give, uh, if you like what we're doing on this show or other other videos of ours, give it a thumbs up. We appreciate that. Uh, if you like the audio side of things, you can get the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all of the major platforms. We are there. Leave us a review, hopefully a five-star one. If you like the show, we appreciate that. And you can get our show, Bangla- Talking Football with Bengal Jim and Friends, Coach Speak and Chalk Talk with Matt Minnick, and, of course, Three and Out with Jason and Kevin. All of those are on the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel for your listening pleasure. And we're going to keep hammering you with content uh, quite often throughout the week, even though it's a little bit of a slower period. And then we're going to ramp stuff up big time, obviously, as the offseason rolls on and into the regular season. So go check it out. Before we also do that, I want to share this. We've talked about this a little bit. Um, Orlando Brown Jr. graced us with his presence on this program a little while ago, and uh, we want to support the things he is doing here 
with the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation in the greater Cincinnati area. We started a GoFundMe. We've raised a little bit of money. We've also got some set aside thanks to some generous super chats and some uh, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of match some of the donations as well on our own. But we have a goal. It's not a, a huge, huge goal. It's a little over. It's a thousand seventy five. We did seventy five for his jersey number. But, um, you know, we, we want to just make an impact for him. Say thank you to, for coming on the show. Welcome to Cincinnati. And of course, support a cause that is near and dear to him. Diabetes is a disease that has, um, you know, had a major impact on him and his family. So we want to do what we can. We've already had some generosity shown. We appreciate it. If you can continue to help us out with that. That would be awesome. Uh, just a, a thank you as we continue to work with him and we're going to try and get him back on uh, during potentially closer to training camp and whatnot, hopefully. So we'll see what happens there. But um, he's a great guy and we want to show some support. And I know all of you, we ask that often of you, um, but uh, we appreciate your generosity as always. Let's move on though john to the 2023 potential breakout list players list um we had charlie jones and travion williams so far right um we're going to stick on the offensive side of the ball but it's not going to be a skill position player um some some buzz occurred i believe it was from last night where a lot of the Bengals players attended the Reds game and were, you know, taking BP and uh, doing some field. By the way, Lael Collins, I think, was out there kind of fielding some balls at first base, it looked like, maybe making a couple throws. That was kind of cool to see. Um, but, you know, we saw a lot of guys out there, and one guy that kind of started to create a little buzz was, and based on a, a photo, and we'll get there in a second, was uh, this young man who happens to play offensive line for the Cincinnati Bengals, and that – person is second year man Cordell Volson left guard um, and we'll we'll get to the picture in just a second here but this is a, a guy that had some nice moments as a rookie I'm going to pull up some film here in just a second I slowed it down you can see here we can start this over I'll rewind it a little bit here um, what I did John is I pulled late season late season um, film and you can see here here he is I think uh, up against Patrick Queen here Karras is going to come into the combo block and Mixon gets a nice gain there and he's just working, right? I mean, he continues to work on, on another player there. Um, here he is in a pass pro, uh, just kind of sticks with it. I mean, nothing super fancy, but sticks with it. Nice play to Tyler Boyd. Here's some of the best footage from the Buffalo Bills game. This was the uh, was this the touchdown to Hunt? Yeah, this is the touchdown to Hayden Hurst. We can go back on that one here. Let's go back uh right here so here he is obviously next to jackson carmen right down here and you look at him and a little tw uh twist there picks it up and kind of pushes the guy into the pile and makes him irrelevant wide open hearse touchdown um and obviously this this game was the offensive line was playing outstanding look at him just stand up i think that's ed oliver maybe right there or someone else but you matched up against ed oliver nice um uh, on a number of occasions this one's regular speed here you can just kind of see uh gets a guy to the ground and obviously that results into in a touchdown here we'll slow this one down for you here um kind of gets in there and combo blocks there and, and then sticks with the block uh for a nice gain to tyler boyd i think this one was pretty early in the game this one i think was one of my favorites if you watch this one he'll get on a guy uh oh no it's not this one it's another pass um 
Um, he's still moving. That's like still moving six guys. yards down. He's yeah, engaged. You know what? Like, I think oh. it was the Higgins one. Let me let me go back to this Higgins play. Uh, did we did we do the the Higgins one yet? Um, maybe we didn't. Uh, but there's one where I th- I thought it showed really good awareness. Um, where he he's blocking a guy, and then as he's kind of blocking a guy, he he turns his head to the left to to make sure that Carmen wasn't beat on his side and also see if he can cut. Cause he got help from Karis. Yeah. I think I passed it. Bummer. Um, I'll see so he was, he was, he was looking for work though. He was looking for, he was looking for work. Uh, yeah. These are some ones, this is, these are some reps I didn't like um, uh, against the chiefs here. You see, he just ca- gets caught and just pushed back there and it results in a sack uh, early on for the Bengals. Let me see if I can find that, that one. Uh, it was a pass to T Higgins. I'll see if I can uh, pull that back up for you because I really liked that that play this was the Hurst play um was this the one to Higgins uh yeah I think this is the one so you could see here he's he's kind of turning his head and starting to get over there um you know he had a guy locked up Karras helped him out on that one and as as he got help from Karras uh he ended up he ended up um you know trying to help out Carmen as well which I liked which I like now this is the picture that's that's causing the stir John um, he looks this is part of the reason why I think, you know, in breakout, maybe a relative term, he looks like he is bulked up in a good way. At least, you know, we could take stock and, or lack thereof in these pictures or whatever. I mean, we, we got all excited about the Leo Collins workout video that was real brief a couple of weeks ago. And so he looks like he has uh, really beefed himself up in a, in a good way, muscle mass type of thing. Here's the thing. I mean, a Pro Bowl player, maybe not. But you saw flashes last year. You saw some good games, some some you know somewhat regular good snaps from him. There were some issues. I, I, there was a couple of snaps late in the year. You saw him kind of get pushed way back, um, it, it, causing that sack in the Chiefs game. But there's the whole floor ceiling debate and all of that. But I think that he's poised to take a nice step this year. And if he does, that's a key piece to this team aside from health. And aside from, you know, the safety's playing well, the new safety's playing well and all of that, if he can take another step in his development and get to be, you know, a, a truly solid left guard, which I think he can be, um, or the potential is there, the consistency is needed, but that is going to be a major facet to the Bengals potentially winning a Super Bowl. I mean, that's that's country strength right there. Like, that that's a guy who's, I mean, he, he was working on what, like, in North Dakota, his like family's got like a farm, or it's like mm-hmm. some type of industrial plant. Like, yeah, he's a uh, <laughs> he's he's country strong in that regard. But mm-hmm. I think last year ended or was about as good as you could have expected. You got to remember, Volson, he played multiple spots at North Dakota State in like sixty something games, but he was primarily a tackle, so he was making a transition in his own right. And I, I know there's a narrative that. It's very simple for a tackle to move inside to guard, or it's supposedly supposed to benefit said offensive lineman. But when you're moved inside closer to the center, it gets a lot faster, obviously. And that that was an issue that Jackson Carmen had when he was trying to, tra- to transition to guard. They had him doing a bunch of jump sets, and he was missing with his hands. And with Volson, there was kind of the same plan, but he, I think... Uh, adapted much better and he adapted to the to the increased speed not only are you going from fcs level college players to the nfl but again you're going from you're playing in space more often a tackle and your angles are just better and it's easier in that regard to 
going inside against NFL defensive tackles who are much stronger, who are much quicker. And I think it ended up being as good as you could have expected. It was very up and down. He had some very good weeks. He had some very bad weeks. Very bad mm-hmm. being like the very beginning of the season when Cam Hayward made him look like a fool on the yep. very first play, right? But if you look at him compared to other rookie guards who started last year, he was considerably better than Kenyon Green was, who was a first-round pick by the Houston Texans. He was about on par with Zion Johnson, who was another first-round pick but with the Los Angeles Chargers. Cole Strange ended up being the most productive pass-blocking rookie interior offensive lineman, believe it or not, and he was like considered like a giant reach in the first round. But Volson was on par with pretty much every other rookie who was starting last year, and a lot of people didn't really expect him to go as early as he did, but he just kind of took his role in stride, and he made the absolute most of it. And, and for the most part, like he looked like he was on the same page in terms of a communication standpoint and obviously being aware in pass protection, getting your assignment down, but also recognizing that Joe Burrow is a quarterback that likes to extend plays. He'll hold the ball too, he'll hold the ball too long sometimes, and then that may lead to some pressures. But he never looked it never looked like the game was too fast or too big for him. And obviously the technical issues they can get eased out as his career progresses and as he gets more comfortable in the scheme and whatnot. But for a, a rookie who is thrusted into a faster game at a faster position and ended up be looking as good as possible. So that gives you a pretty good base floor for him to continue progressing. It seems like he's on that path right now. Yeah. I mean, small school to starting, you know, AFC North NFL guard is it's a big jump. There's two questions, age slash ceiling, right? Cause he was drafted older. He was an older guy when he was drafted. And the other John for me is the height. Because sometimes guards are, uh, you know, maybe 6'3", 6'4". You want them a little squattier to have that lower center of gravity. Sometimes, um, you know, you have the squattier, you know, interior defensive lineman that you're going up against. to see, you know, sometimes the height, while it's imposing and you can you can have the, the reach that usually goes along with that and everything, former tackle, as you mentioned, um, while you have all of that, um, you know, sometimes it can work against you. Right. And, and I think that's what happened on that one clip. If you saw there against the chiefs where, it's, you know, he just got under him and it just kept pushing it. Cause it was a, it was a leverage game. And that guy was quite a bit shorter, I think, than, than Volson was, and just kind of got under him, so to speak, and moved him back. So those are the things I think, you know, and then, you know, you talk about consistency, but I don't know if you have questions about, you know, if the height, if the height continues to be an issue for you at guard, um, and then, of course, how close to the ceiling is he based on what we saw last year? Well, interestingly enough, um, I, I, it was Orlando Brown who was talking to uh, Jeff Hobson the other day. And he and Brown said that, like, he believes that Volson has, quote unquote, Pro Bowl potential with his size mm-hmm. and mental mm-hmm. makeup. Quote, I think he really uses his height to his advantage. His mindset and his length are two things that are really going to separate him in the long run. This is from Bengals.com and Jeff Hobson and the wonderful work that he does. We got to get him back on the show as well. But mm-hmm. I, I, I agree with you though. Like height typically when you're again, when you're that close to the middle of the formation leverage is King and how much you can control your pad level is ultimately going to determine your success or your failure. That's why Geno Atkins was so dominant because he could just be under the pad, the pads of any guard that he would go up against without yeah. even trying. Right. So, yeah. but, but with, with height does come length. So Volson does have, I think about average to above average arms. I think he's just under 34 inches, which is why I think some teams did peg him more as a guard because they, they prefer to have their tackles with at least 34 inch arms. Mm-hmm. So th- there is more length to him 
for being a guard. And again, it's, it's going to come down to primarily timing and placement with his hands. Like if, if he can get those more under control in a consistent matter, he can mitigate some of those leverage issues and he can, I, I guess, recover faster and kind of reset and re-anchor. And that will lead to a, a more evenly, a more even battle when it comes to leverage. But it really comes down to making sure that your hands strike in the right place because that that rep that we saw against the Chiefs, like he just let his chest be exposed completely. Like he missed with his hands, his hands were late, and at that point, it doesn't matter how long your arms are. If if a guy just has you right in the in like right right in your temple of your chest, like there's nothing you can do. You're, you're on skates at that point, and you're trying to get your hands back underneath. But at that point, you're already five yards back in the pocket, right. and Joe Burrow's taking a sec to start the drive. So it really does come down to the timing. And the, and the placement of his hands, and if, and if he can get that down, then then he can use his height to his advantage for sure. You mentioned him um, just a minute ago, but the guy he's playing next to as well, Orlando Brown Jr., a guy who has 35-inch arms, Jonah Williams about 33 and a half. Um, and so, you know, say what you want about Brown versus Williams and that sort of thing. I mean, I, I, I think most people feel like this will be a left tackle upgrade. I think the Bengals feel that way. Otherwise it wouldn't have made the move. Right. Um, so now you have a uh, supposedly or on paper, at least a better player flanked by him. You know, he like Volson is flanked by a better player on the left. Um, and then of course, I think, you know, as, as this season wore on too, and, and you saw in some of those clips there, he and Karras worked very well together on a lot of occasions um, later in the year, particularly in that Bills game, a lot of good combo blocks and, and things like that. So, uh, you know, you would think then that maybe plays a little bit into a supposed or marked improvement from Volson in terms of who he is flanked, who is flanking him on the left. Yeah, and just for, just for a recap as well, he, he logged over 2,000 snaps at right tackle at North Dakota State, about 100 snaps at left tackle, 400 snaps at right guard, only 19 snaps at left guard. So left guard was pretty much a brand yeah. new position. And I think I think you have a good point there. Like a, a lot of the, when the Bengals started to kind of transition more to their gap scheme and run blocking, it, it led to a lot of deuce blocks and combo blocks with Ted Karras at the center. Like that's a big part of just a gap scheme. And when you're running downhill like that, and a lot of it comes down to making sure that, that the leverage that you attack with that, whatever it's the, it's the nose or it's the three technique, making sure that you basically clear that gap out and hand it off to the center before you move up to the second level. He seemed very apt in, in those regards. I think he was way more consistent as a run blocker compared to when he was a pass blocker, but obviously mm-hmm. his value in the Bengals' offense line is going to be determined by how, how clean can you keep Joe Burrow, right? And you're, you're still having dominant three techniques in the AFC North and on this slate of schedules. So it's going to be a big test to see how far he's grown in that regard. Yeah, well, hopefully he's the guy that does take uh, a step forward. Not that he was awful or anything last year. Like you said, he was he was pretty good at uh, on a number of occasions. He had some down moments as well. But if the consistency where that pendulum doesn't swing so so wildly from side to side. You know, if you can get a little more consistency out of them, I think that's going to be a huge, huge thing for the Cincinnati Bengals. And breakout would be a relative term for him because he's already a starter on the offensive line. But, um, you know, to become a, a, a solid and reliable guy um, in year two would be a huge, huge boost for the Bengals. Let's drop the mic and get on out of here, John. We're doing a little bit more abbreviated episodes than usual in the in the regular season. Still went a tiny bit longer than 
I had anticipated, but uh, we had we talked about a lot. It was fun. What do you got for us on our way out? Kind of a random note, but I'm just ready to call it. Miles Morales is the best Spider-Man. I'm I'm tired of like not not saying it. Like he's 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 the best. Mic drop. I, I you know I have I haven't seen the, the Into the Spider Verse movies. I have wanted to, and I have not. Definitely. And everybody do. everybody gushes about him, and I'm like, man, I am missing out. I am missing out. Um, yeah, so I got to do that. I got to catch up. And and my my oldest is kind of kind of into Spider Man. He's he's more into Mario right now. Um, but he's kind of he's been watching some of the Spider Man stuff. So maybe that's uh, maybe those are some things we should we should watch together coming up here. But yeah, I hear good things. I hear really good things. Um, I, I just want to go back. I uh, talking about the Reds a little bit. Um, really fun to watch. I, I know we're not a Reds podcast. We usually when we talk about the Reds, it's in almost a laughing manner. Um, but it is very cool to see this city kind of come alive and it's really cool to see the synergy between the Bengals and the reds too i mean maybe it just wasn't covered very much maybe there wasn't much synergy but you know the players taking batting practice and play you know reds players cheering on Bengals players as they hit them out of the park and all kinds of stuff that's really cool to see it's really cool to see what appears to be generational players on the reds as the Bengals are, are grooming and bringing up generational players on their respective roster um and, you know, a shout out to a guy I used to um, host podcasts with, Mickey Menser at, uh, at Who Day Fans. He now does work in the Reds front office. And I know, you know, the, the Reds have been kind of a, a little bit of a target of, you know, some cynicism over the past couple of years and really, I guess, past a lot of years. Um, it, it's cool. I, I'm happy for him and I'm happy for, you know, the fans of the Reds and the, and the city of Cincinnati to see a cool product we don't know exactly what's going to happen obviously baseball is a long season there are a lot a lot more games to play i think they're what around 500 at this point right um and they're i mean beating the dodgers dodgers are a very good team and beating the dodgers the way they did the last couple of nights it's cool to see and it's cool to see the fans jazzed about about that team and of course excited about the Bengals and fc cincinnati as well i don't think we can gloss over this burrow hit not one not two not three, but four home runs in batting practice. I was I was talking with one of my friends who's about the same size as Burrow, and he's like, if I had a month of training, I could probably hit a home run in batting practice. I'm like, no, you cannot. It's so much harder than it actually looks. And then Burrow, who I guess hasn't picked up a bat or hasn't played baseball in years, but he apparently was a pretty good baseballer before he committed to basketball and football, just casually hits four, albeit Great American Ballpark is a hitter's ballpark, but I don't, I don't think it's someone... I don't think put some in the seats. Put some in the seats. I think it was Co- Cody Ford. Put was it Cody Ford yeah. that put yeah. him out there too? I mean, he's sm- I thought that was DJ Reader at first, and they said no, it's because Co- they were you know way way far back. Um, and I remember DJ Reader was a hell of a baseball player too. Um, and so I was like, oh, is that DJ Reader? And they're like, no, it's Cody Ford. Um, and so a number of Bengals players showing up and uh, you know playing playing some good baseball there, but uh, really really cool to see. <laughs> the state of sports in the city of Cincinnati. And um, hopefully it, it continues with the Bengals going forward this season. All right. We're going to get out of here. Thank you, John Sheeran. Thank you everybody for tuning in live. Those who uh, listen to the show after the fact or watch the show after the fact, again, get it on your favorite audio streamer, subscribe to our YouTube channel, keep it to cincyjungle.com for all your Bengals news, opinions, analysis, all of that. Go check out John's work at A to Z sports as well. He's killing it over there. 
And hey, we'll be back with more coming up. We'll have some f other fun stuff, but you got to subscribe to the YouTube channel to be able to get it. Um, so check that out. We'll be back with more coming up. See you, John. See you.